We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, apartment search, how's it going? Not very well. Heart palpitations. <laughs> Whee! Aren't the holidays great? <laughs> oh, God. I can't wait till this is over and I'm just living on the street. It's going to be so much simpler. It's going to be harder to record the televerse, though. Yeah, that, 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 that's true. That, we'll have to get some really hardcore hiss filters. I, I, I think I'm just going to have to just find the direction of Chicago and just yell at it <laughs> and see if you can pick it up. Could, could, that could be perhaps the, the more effective route. We'll, we'll see. We'll keep uh, you listeners... Uh, gentle, gentle listeners will keep you updated about uh, Simon's housing situation as we move forward. Uh, <laughs> but we did, we had fun, I had fun talking with you guys this week. I talked uh, Doctor Who with Mandy. Uh, I talked some some Firefly with Keith, who now officially considers himself a brown coat. He, he was watched Firefly and Serenity in the course of the past week or two, and uh, or maybe even three, but he's uh, officially down with the, the, the Firefly brown coat movement. Um, apparently, we heard from Bruce and, and Keith as well that people, some people are having downloading issues with the show. If, if you are as well, please let us know. We're trying to figure out precisely what's going on. Um, they're both having issues in iTunes with certain episodes but not other episodes. So if you're having issues getting a hold of the podcast, please drop us a line, theteleverse at gmail.com, uh, and let us know so that we can try to address that for you. We heard from Shannon about uh, the question last week, which is what is the best episode. He picked uh, Blackwater from, from uh, Game of Thrones, which was a rather spectacular episode. Yes, that was a good one. Definitely. Mario votes for... However, an episode of Scandal, and uh, which which has become, it's actually, it's doing pretty well now. It, it actually has uh, upset Elementary the past couple of weeks in the ratings. So that wow. it's doing pretty well, yeah. And he was reading, rooting for the Beekmans, and uh, we know how that turned out. We'll be talking about Amazing Race a little later in the show. <laughs> Boo. But uh, over at Sound on Sight, we have a bunch of different things going on. First of all, the if you want to listen to us talk about Lord of the Rings... For about an hour and a half, there's a Lord of the Rings podcast. I finally was on Sound on Sight. Yes, it only took almost 400 episodes <laughs> for you to finally make an appearance. I, ideally, I would bring you on for a, for a Les Miserables show, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Yeah, based on your guys' responses to that, I don't know that it will or should, but uh, I'll be Honestly, I, th listen. I, I, I think it would just hurt your brain. The movie <laughs> itself, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, right now, the plan is to to misty it sometime in the future when when I get a hold of a DVD uh, when it comes out or something. It's also Tarantino month at Sound On Sight. Oh, uh, we should also mention that that sorry that that Lord of the Rings podcast we had Capone back on, 
and of course yes. Ricky's on that as well. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but it's Tarantino month, as uh, as I said. Yes, and we've got we actually got a bunch of Tarantino shows already in the bag and recorded. I just need to get around to mixing them when I'm not looking at apartments, and they they'll be released sequentially, more or less, uh, leading up to the release of Django Unchained, which I believe I'm seeing on Thursday morning. <laughs> so. Very jealous. I'm incredibly jealous. I think, uh, yeah, maybe by Thursday I will have seen Lincoln. This is how behind I am. Uh, Lincoln's good. I think you'll enjoy it. Yay. Excellent. No, this is why I don't contribute to those end of the year lists uh, for the films, because I've seen like four, maybe, maybe five. Uh, And uh, I have a feeling you guys wouldn't like the picks that I would have as my number one (laughs) and how it would affect our poll. (laughs) Fair enough. But uh, speaking of top 10 lists, we are going to have uh, some some top 10 TV coverage coming. But unlike other sites, we're waiting until at least Homeland finishes. Uh, and, and some of the other uh, the fi- fall programming, you know, will go on hiatus over the course of the next week or so. I believe the the staff top 10 conglomerated list should be out next week. So we will uh, give you a heads up about that in the next episode of the, of the uh, Televerse. But I think we should probably get into our week in TV here. We have a bunch of different shows. Uh, I, I guess not everything has gone on hiatus yet, uh, but we'll start with Tuesday and the Tuesday comedies, which are Ben and Kate, The Trip, New Girl, Bathtub, Mindy Project 2 to 1, Happy Endings, P&P, Romance Factory. So uh, what did you think about uh, Tuesday? As per usual, I skipped the Mindy Project because I just really don't care just yet. And maybe, maybe I will after they, they're done retooling and I'll check back in, but for now, no. Out of the three we got, uh, I feel like Ben and Kate was probably the best. And this, I think, was, you know, we've talked about how the show sort of started out kind of sweet and adorable and then worked on being funny later. And I think what's nice this week is it switches back, it switches gears back to being sweet and maybe even a little bit sad, which I wasn't expecting, really. And it's also good at that, which is nice to see. And even though I do think they pushed the degree to which Ben would and his friends would be irritating, uh, maybe a little bit more than they needed to. I thought it was actually quite affecting when uh boyfriend whose name I can't remember, but we enjoyed uh, steps out. I was, I was not anticipating that quite so soon, but I guess there it goes. Well, and I like that it's a fight, but it's not implied that it's over. Like I was assuming it was that they were breaking up until that last scene with Ben which implies that they aren't. So if that's the case, I think that's actually kind of cool. Um, and, yeah, maybe. You know, we'll see, we'll see what happens with it. But uh, I always appreciate when couples on TV shows that seem solid break up for legit things. And I think, you know, a, 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 just an innate difference of how you want, what your lifestyle, what you want it to be, and what you want your relationship with your family to be is a significant thing. Um, so we'll see what happens with it. And that's a little jab. That's something that'll be coming a little later. But uh, yes. with uh, with New Girl, we finally got some more Winston stuff. I enjoyed that. And uh, what did you think about the Schmidt and Cece, uh, you know, developments or lack thereof? Is that what you were hinting at? Because I was annoyed no, at this. No, 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 that's not what I was. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like with Schmidt and Cece, like, they're so, you know, they have such great screen chemistry and they're so much fun to watch that I feel like the showrunners have to contrive reasons they can't be together. Like getting, like Carlo Giugino getting him very drunk at work and him not being able to explain why and blah, blah, blah. Uh, that, that That's the kind of thing that just drives me up the wall. 
Well, and I was, you know, I was watching this episode going, oh my god, they listened to the show last week. <laughs> yes, yeah, I had the same thought, and then like, oh, never mind. When they just got them back together, and Schmidt made a serious commitment, and, uh, and that, uh, we'll see where it goes. Um, yeah, I, I, that one's a, definitely a, a wait-and-see thing for me. Um, how well, about... she she does, at the end of the episode, she asks her mom to set her up with someone else, so well, yeah, know, but... I feel like they're going a different direction with it. Yeah, but w that might end up working so that's why i'm i'm you know i'm kind of curious to see what happens with that as long as it's not just you know killing time before they get them back together then i'm okay oh that's that's, that's almost certainly what it is probably you're right <laughs> what about olivia munn uh yeah, she's fine i I'm, I'm on record as being anti-olivia munn when she's trying to be funny this is actually despite the fact that she's on a comedy she's playing it more straight so i'm okay with it it lets nick be the funny one and i feel like he's usually the straight guy for the group so i thought that was kind of nice Yes. And then Mindy Project, we, uh, I don't know if you heard about this, Stephen Tobolowsky's character was written off, off screen. That was a bit of a disappointment. I was really looking forward to first Richard Schiff being involved, and then he was replaced with Stephen Tobolowsky. I was hoping he would, you know, I was looking forward to him on the show. But I do think that as much as I would enjoy to see a show where he was in that sort of a role, or, or to watch him interact with these people... With this cast, uh, the the way the show was developing, it didn't really work for there to be a boss, uh, because the, the the characters need to need to be responsible for something. There needs to be some stakes to if their things are going to happen with uh, you know people shirking responsibilities or anything like that. There, I think the characters are old enough that it, you know, while maybe it doesn't, that's not how the real world works for the purposes of the character development. They need to be in charge. Um, so, so I thought I actually am kind of looking forward to what that's going to mean. We had the Duplass brothers on this week. That was nice. I really enjoyed the showdown <laughs> that we got with Mindy and them, and hopefully they'll be recurring characters to some extent. But yeah, so I, I think Mindy Project is you know still I, I definitely I enjoy it. So I know it's not for you, but uh, but I, I'm sticking I'm with still, it. I'm still just confused how Mark Duplass is in all these places at the same time. Yeah. It's very confusing. Yeah, he's well, been in like six movies this year. And you know, you know, doing a full time gig on the league and showing up here. Well, and speaking of, we had Rob Corddry back on Happy Endings. Right, and not 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 as amusing, I don't think, as his no. previous appearance, but still, still pretty good. Uh, lots lots of solid laughs, I thought, in in this one. I, I feel like Happy Endings is the most reliable in terms of just providing straight up wackiness with with virtually no important character beats ever. Yeah, if you want to go wacky, then yeah. Otherwise, I mean, I still think the most reliable this season has definitely been uh, Bob's Burgers, but we'll, we'll get to that on, on Sunday. I The fact that they that the helmet joke didn't get old for me, I think is rather impressive. Yes, uh, yeah. So, so props to, to Casey Wilson for that. And uh, yeah, it was I a would fun say, episode. I would say props to Casey Wilson and props to the props department for that hair helmet. <laughs> the hermit. Uh, wasn't that, I feel like that was a Scrubs thing, but, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was good. It was good. Next we have Parenthood, Trouble in Candyland, and that's what I was referencing, because I'm just going to start out with Sarah and her fiance's breakup. The fiance's an idiot and had, like, the, the, his, uh, if, if he's going to bail over what, what happened, which was nothing, she didn't actually do anything wrong. Uh, if you want to argue about whether she should have gone on the trip in the first place, I guess. But after that, she did nothing wrong. And so the fact that he's so insecure that, that he's going to bail 
uh, for, that, for, for it's that. Absolutely it is ridiculous. Not, hold on, hold on, hold ridiculous. on. You're implying she did nothing wrong, but that's not true. I think the main thing she did wrong was not being upfront about the purpose of the trip. She said it was a work trip, but she knew, like Ray Romano said, that it was essentially a sham. And yeah. she didn't say anything about it. It was really a personal trip. If she'd been upfront about that, I think he wouldn't have had as much of a right to be upset. Okay, but then the 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 problem I have, I guess, with it, and and yes, obviously there are some honesty issues with that with this relationship, and maybe that's a sign that that this relationship has been doomed for a while. But he doesn't. He he gets comes there and sees her walking around with with her boss, and because they got a hotel, looked the hotel rooms at the same time. They're probably their rooms are next to each other. That's at least that whenever I've gotten multiple hotel rooms with family trips and things, they're always next to each other. Uh, so it makes complete sense that they would be walking together. Also, as someone who has had long evenings in heels, kicking off the heels is not a big deal. And, and, and he just completely freaks out and does not trust her. He's like, what would have happened if I weren't here? Okay, if you can't trust your wife to be away from you for a day, or your, your fiancé, that is, and you can't trust her to have any alcohol and be with a person of the male gender, then you shouldn't be marrying that person. No, no, I, I definitely agree that he his response is over the top, but I also think that Sarah's kind of a dick also. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I mostly just don't really care about the storyline all that much, except for the fact that I really enjoy Ray Romano playing wounded and and mm -hmm. and, uh, and sensitive. Yeah. Well, and I think I think she apologizes about. I think the other reason uh, is that she, she apologizes to him about having gone on the trip and the fact that you know that that she knows that it was to to help out her friend. But I also think they haven't really played the parent card in this situation, and I feel like that's not an insignificant element to her decision to go to help him out with this because she has kids and she does have a spouse that just left, you know, and, and has raised kids by herself. She knows the importance of, you know, her family is very important to her. And, 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 and so she knows how much it would pain her if, if her spouse showed her, her, sorry, her parents' father showed back up and was able to take them away for some reason. So I, I think, and, and that's something that, that the fiance doesn't have the same relationship with, or if he does, that hasn't been demonstrated. Um, and so I think that, yes, she should have told him the real reason she was going. I don't think that would have changed his reaction. I think if anything, it would have made it more virulent. That doesn't make it less of her fault for not being honest. Um, but, uh, but I, I just mostly have been completely unimpressed with his utter lack of maturity about all of this. Missing a rehearsal dinner is not a big deal. And he made yeah. it into one. I don't know. I feel like the, it, either it's contrived or he's an idiot and if he's he's you know and he's not worth being with, so I don't know if it's the character to blame. And granted, we didn't see the the relationship get built, you know, in previous mm -hmm. seasons. I don't know. Obviously, yeah. I care way more than you do about this one. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I I sort of just tuned out of those scenes mostly, um, just because I don't really care about either character that much. Fair enough. Enough enough to be enough to be upset about it. Um, speaking of things to be upset about. It seems like they're still not done with this Pamela Adlin thing, which, man, I love Pamela Adlin. She's amazing, but this needs to be done now. <laughs> um, and then with that little tag with her, like, still 
kicking up shit at the end. It's just like, oh, are we really not done with this yet? Well, I I like that they have given her what it feels like a legitimate grievance, you know, like a series of legitimate grievances with them. And I, I don't feel like the show is completely against her in that, obviously, Crosby's an idiot. I, you know, so, so I, I do think, I like that they've given her some merit, um, but I do think they've just made her relentless when they have her go, go from, I like that they had given her, her breast cancer. Um, I thought that was interesting and a really interesting note of humanization of this is a real person. This isn't just some person who's trying to destroy you, but then they immediately have her jump to the bitchy position of you're trying to manipulate me and that didn't make sense. Um, and, and, and so I would have, uh, I don't know, I, that I had some issues with that, but I know some people didn't like the resolution of the hearing. I thought it made sense and was good. I liked it. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really the only card they can play. So I, I, I was didn't really see. Well, and another... I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it. And then I felt like an idiot for not having thought of it as soon as, you know, of course, of course, that's what you would do. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's fine. It was, they, they maybe overplayed it a little bit much. Got, it got into parenthood cornball land a little bit, but it was fine. Yeah. I'm mostly just, man, could we just bring her back in a couple seasons with a better character? <laughs> yeah, I would like to see, you know, I do think, uh, a Pamela, Pamela Adlin character that wasn't designed just to be a roadblock for them and to be a rather undeveloped bitch character uh, could be very interesting. So I, I, I hear you there. The last thing I want to talk about, we got to talk about Stone Christina, because that was hilarious. Yes, that was great. Um, hopefully they do lots more of that. Although, do we know how, how long Parenthood seasons tend to be? I know they've got their mid-season finale either next week or the week after. I think it's only like a 14-episode season. So it's, you know, it's it's over halfway done already. So, yeah, no, that, that stuff was great. There wasn't a whole lot of cancer stuff this week, which is probably why it was a slightly weaker episode because that stuff is the most strong material. But uh, yeah, another fine episode despite some annoyances. And yeah, I'm really hoping they tie up some of this stuff sooner rather than later. Yeah, it seems like less, next week is just going is going to be the very special cancer episode. Um, and at least the trailer had a strong Christmas theme to it too. So I'm a little I'm a little anxious about that. Oh but man. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll 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 see we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, they haven't let me down yet. So especially with this storyline. So fingers crossed. Let's move on to Top Chef Seattle, and we had uh, another team go home, another set of two, and I'm I'm all about this double elimination. It was really one of the most disappointing episodes in a long time, food wise, but. It was so hilarious to watch Tom get increasingly pissed off over the course of the meal that I think it was almost worth it. Yeah, my my favorite bit was, I think it was CJ uh, trying to predict how Tom would react to a burger and then being completely disastrously wrong. Mm-hmm. That was just priceless. Just it was just so the opposite of what they wanted, and it was so great to watch. Well, and I loved, but I loved it when he was up at judges table and he said. You know, I could just see what you were going to say if I didn't do a burger. And, and I love how, the, at least it seemed to me, all the judges were like, oh, yeah, you would totally do that, Tom. That, so I, <laughs> I did enjoy that. You know, so, so, you know, and if you just made, if they just made a good burger. Yeah, you know, that did not look like a good burger. I mean, who uses a squishy bun? I mean, come on. It wasn't even a bun, right? It was like a, it was a different kind. So it was even, even, you know, smushier than normal. And Oh, it, it, it looked like a wilted English muffin is what it looked like. Yeah. Oh, it was like a crumpet, wasn't it? Yeah, that's not yeah, a good yeah, idea. Yeah. 
that's not a good idea. Uh, what did you, th what did you mean? What, obviously I enjoyed uh, all of the, you know, epic fails going on this week. How about, how about you? Yeah. I mean, some good food would be nice, but in, in absence of that, we may as well get hilariously entertaining bad food. <laughs> uh, I mean, there wasn't really anyone who went home that I was all that sad about. So I'm, I, I mean, I, I think the entire spectrum is like, there's no, there's nobody who's totally boring to me mm -hmm. so far, which is good. And nobody who's infuriating either, except for sometimes Carla, who's gone anyway. Uh, have you been following Last Chance Kitchen? Because I'm in Canada and I can't watch it. No, I have not. But I did notice this week while I was watching that they said that, that Kaniko must have won the first week because you could get one of the eliminated chefs from Top Chef Kitchen. You could give them another shot. So I guess they want to have like three or four way Last Chance Kitchens each week. So it's not just one on one. Okay. Um, and so I guess you can give them another chance in Last Chance Kitchen, but that just seems so ridiculous to me. I mean, yeah, last last chance kitchen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but I was I was glad to see that Kaniko won the first time. So we'll see what happens this next one. All right. Next we have Supernatural Citizen Fang, and we got the Benny versus Sam episode we've been predicting for a while. Um, I, I, I'm yeah, I, I enjoyed the Benny stuff. I do really like that character. Um, it was nice to see, oh, I can't actually remember her name. Uh, she was so great on Alphas this season as Rosen's daughter, as Danielle. But that actress popped up again here, and she was, again, she was very good. I, I like seeing her. And I like that they brought back, um, again, <laughs> this is what happens when we podcast, when I am exhausted. Um, the, the hunter from the previous season, it was nice to see him back again. And I thought that it made sense. I like that they're trying to have, like, they're finding the last little threads of people that, that are left that aren't dead that they can bring back. I like the way that they're incorporating them this season. So I, I enjoyed this episode. I'm not too excited about the angst, but it looks like next week is a cast fest. So that should be, that should be interesting. Next we have Nashville, where he leads me. I know we were iffy about tuning in last week. Did you tune in this week? Yeah, yeah, and I'm kind of wishing I hadn't. Um, <laughs> man, Gunner, 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 Gunner. What happened to you? Yeah, right? Oh, you used to be one of my favorite characters, and now you're, like, one of my least favorite characters, not just on the show, but on television, period. <laughs> oh, my God. They ruined you. Yeah, in the span of two weeks, too. Really quickly. Yeah. Oh. Oh God! How about uh, how about let's, how about Deacon? What did you think of Deacon? Uh, I always like Deacon storylines. He's like the only character who's who's consistently watchable, and I I really like the idea of him hooking up with a sober band. Mm -hmm. And because because immediately it it stops dead the where you think that plotline's headed. Yeah. And I mean, barring relapse, which I really hope doesn't happen. Yeah. But um, yeah, I thought that was a really clever touch. I'm really struggling to remember anything else from this episode, though, because it was it just it was either stuff that infuriated me or just sort of happened. Well, we had Juliet and her boyfriend's family and singing at church, which I mean, that was a bit much. Come on. And uh, <laughs> and then we also had uh, Raina and uh, Teddy and their the, the the whiff of an affair with that, those photos and uh, her coming out to stand by her man. Um, I, I I was glad that they didn't stretch out the uh, Raina doesn't know about the embezzlement thing. Yes. It's nice to have everything out in the open, and it feels like at this point everything is. Uh, yeah, although I still wish it had been Teddy who'd taken a box of pills. Um, 
Let's get rid of the character. I find him totally useless. So, yeah, I don't know why I'm still watching the show, <laughs> basically. Because I don't know. that I was mean... the last one before the uh, the hiatus, so... Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. well, we'll see how I feel when it comes back, if there are better things to watch. Because, yeah, the moments of goodness are really not enough for me lately. Well, and then let's contrast that with The Hour, which was another episode that I very much enjoyed. And I was glad that this Kiki thing, at least the the uh, the the assault charge did not extend beyond this one episode. Obviously that Kiki character is going to continue, but I was really concerned they were going to try to stretch out this, oh, did he do it? Did he beat her up thing for several weeks? So it was nice to see that tied up. Yeah, I still don't understand the point of the Kiki character at all. Mm -hmm. I don't know where they're going with it. I don't think there's anything. I'm struggling to see fertile story ground in that direction. Mm. So, yeah, not sure how I feel about that. Uh, in general, I thought it was f- a fine episode. I, I, d- I do find the show is a little bit more simplistic than I'd like a lot of the time, especially in the way that the, the sort of fascist kid story wraps up by the end of the episode with Ben Wysha just being right about everything and, and you know, oh, you know, the Frenchie will get over it, et cetera, et cetera. Like, uh, you know, we, we could have gone for a few shades of gray in here. Well, I thought that the um, the girlfriend getting over it, uh, that when she calmed down, she would actually uh, love him more for having done what he did. I think that actually kind of makes sense with what we've seen, the very little we've seen of their relationship. It feels like a very tempestuous sort of thing, like highs and lows. Um, and so this notion that she was really upset, but when she has, because she, you know, because she got soot poured on her face and was assaulted, you know, to some extent. I think that makes sense. But then... He is such an idealist uh, that it makes sense that she would admire or or like that trait in him. Otherwise, I feel like they would have they wouldn't they couldn't be together. Um, and so I thought that, that kind of made sense. So basically, that's a long way of saying that didn't bother me. Um, it also you know the catch more flies with honey thing made sense. Also, and and the as soon as we saw that character coming in with like helping the uh, the the people move into the house across the street, it seemed pretty clear to me that that's where that was going um so so i I guess i i kind of didn't it didn't really surprise me i continue to love peter capaldi on the show i like what they're you know the the history that they've sort of really teased with that one other writer who was a fun presence on the show last season and uh i don't know i like the stuff we got with uh the wife too oh yes that stuff was actually probably my favorite of the episode especially because at the end of last episode, I was sure she was going to jump out of a window. <laughs> so for her to do anything else is is good to see. I have to say about Capaldi, I mean, he's been great, but I do feel like they maybe went overboard in how in depicting him as 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 scary and not enjoying the show and wanting to change everything when he came in, and now he's he seems much more warm and fuzzy. Interesting. I don't okay. know. I, it, 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 just from one episode to the next, it doesn't feel like he's been consistently written. Okay, that hasn't bothered me, but we'll see how I feel about it next week. I guess you know we're only I mean, two episodes in. The thing is, we just we we enjoy watching Peter Capaldi be right so much, <laughs> and correcting people that you, that you don't you often don't think about things like this. But I I do feel like, you know, we we enjoy watching him fight for these people. So it doesn't it's not necessarily something we think about if it if it doesn't seem to jibe with what we saw. Oh, but first, that's the thing. Think. It for me, it completely jives. I I don't see a contrast in the character. I don't feel like he's changed at all. 
So, okay. I, you know, like I, cause we don't, we didn't actually hear that much about him and what we got from him in the first episode that doesn't necessarily match what uh, Rama Grai's character was concerned that he would be. So I, that's where I'm seeing the difference, but I, you know, maybe I'm, I'll, I'm wrong. And in a week I'll be saying, Simon, you were right. Uh, so we'll see. That has never happened. Unfortunately, there's one of those coming later later in the episode, but uh, we'll get there when we get to Sunday. First, we're going to go to Thursday with the Thursday comedies, and 30 Rock, My Whole Life is Thunder, Parks and Rec, Ron and Diane, Always Sunny, Charlie Rules the World, The League had two episodes, The Anchor Baby, and Brillo El Cordero, and then NTSF SUV Christmas Activity. Oh man, so much goodness on this night, I thought. Uh, let's... Let's start with NTSF for some reason, because I didn't know it was going to have another episode, let alone a Christmas episode, let alone a Christmas horror episode. And I thought that was so much fun. I especially loved uh, the 12 Kills of Christmas, which I wish we'd gotten to hear all of. Uh, Sung sung in the style of, uh, what what was it, Crying Orphans? Yes, Weeping Orphans, yes. Weeping Orphans? That was so great. Um, And yeah, the, the, the resolution was slightly predictable, but still... Still pretty great. Lots of great one-off gags and anything to poke fun at at found footage horror films, which I've seen way too many of over the last five years, more than anyone should. Uh, I don't know. So so I guess I was particularly sensitive to that niche. Yeah, this it started out more promising for me than it ended up. I actually really enjoyed the the first scene where they were established. Now that we've established that we all have cameras, that actually that really worked for me. <laughs> But what the, the I just got increasingly annoyed every time uh, I want to say it's Piper the the female lead right she every time she stared at the camera I got more annoyed because found footage in general unless it's done really well it's incredibly annoying to me and you can for further thoughts on this see the my review of the supernatural found footage episode from earlier this season um, but so it just more than. I didn't laugh. I just was annoyed. It's like, yeah, that's annoying when those <laughs> so, movies. So do even that. when the character, so even when each new additional character says, "Oh, I've got a camera, quick, I have to film this," you didn't find that humorous. I found it funny the first time, <laughs> but then you know, it, 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 I don't know. It just wasn't. Uh, it wasn't funny enough for me. I guess I. It didn't quite. I mean, I still enjoyed watching. I love watching this cast. I actually got a lot more humor out of the the Judaism Christianity stuff mm-hmm. i thought that was more successful I, but, uh, wait you did and you, and you didn't laugh when the 12 kills of christmas came in on the radio yeah that i didn't la- actually i didn't laugh out loud once during this entire episode oh, so wow. i, I thought it was funny but i did not want to hear more of that no <laughs> no no uh not not your style so um uh, also earlier in the evening we got i think my favorite parks for a long time okay uh, at least, I, or if not the outright best, I thought it was the funniest episode for a long time. Mind you, I am a sucker for wood puns, apparently. <laughs> and um, I don't know, I thought every aspect of this just clicked really nicely. And all the stuff with Jerry's family was kind of predictable in the sense that that's always what they do with Jerry, but still works for me. Yeah, I like the stuff with Jerry and uh, the uh, <laughs> them being stuck outside was pretty great. The Jerry filter, all of that, I really enjoyed. Uh, not to mention them giving Anne something to do again, which is, it's been a while. But uh, the the stuff with Ron, while I enjoyed it, and I still really like Lucy Lawless on as a as a match for him, I think those two have a good chemistry and it works. I like the end, too, with Duke Silver. But I can't help but feel like an episode like this feels like 
a caricature of what the character was in season one. If this feels like this episode, the scenes that we got with Ron feel like the SNL parody of season one or season two Ron. Hmm. So it just, it, it, it felt like, yes, it was entertaining. Yes. The overall, the theme with Leslie and Diana thought was actually really great, but it, it did not, it felt like it was selling out the characters to, to some extent. Like when he's prancing around like a schoolgirl, that felt like they had just, they had moved the character into parody or just moved it too far where it did not work for me. I don't know. I, I, I didn't, it didn't feel any sort of more ludicrous than some other avenues they've had Ron go down. And I, I liked the idea that this was the one place, like we, we, we were finally seeing him fully in his element in a way that we, we don't, we don't get to see very often because he hates awards and he hates things that aren't woodworking. See, but that's, I didn't feel like he was in his element. I didn't feel like this was the same character. Hmm. I guess we'll have to agree to disagree on this one. I don't know. Yeah, I thought fine. it was definitely, it was definitely shticky, but it mm -hmm. wasn't bad shticky to me. Like I, I see where, I see where you're coming from, but. No, I, and I always do enjoy Megan Mullally and watching uh, <laughs> Leslie distract her was pretty hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, I actually the 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 comically the part of the episode that didn't work for me was uh Leslie and and uh and Megan Mullally's fight which just went on too long and the whole well, like, into the garbage thing was too much. I think a perfect encapsulation of what did not work why why it felt false and did not work for me this episode was the very end the tag where she Tammy Sue just pops up out of no, you know, and she's just there and then Leslie looks at the camera and does a home alone. I mean, that's that's not true to these characters. That it felt too over the top. It did not feel like they've created a reality of what Pawnee is and who Leslie is and all of this stuff. I don't believe that Leslie wouldn't see her standing right next to her. I don't believe yeah. that that because it's like she didn't exist when she was off camera and then she just poofed and she was. Yeah, there. yeah. I, I I see what you're saying, and that that stuff was definitely the weakest. But for me, I'm I probably thought overall, overanalyzing. <laughs> but overall, I, I I did think the episode was really 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 funny, and I. Also, I feel like there's no way Ron and Diane aren't a forever thing now, right? Because they're just yeah. too, they're too compatible. <laughs> they both hate France. It's clearly, it's written in the stars. Um, yes. I do think that we got the best Always Sunny that we've gotten in quite a while. I like this one. Yeah, really? I did, this didn't do anything for me. Um, <laughs> and I, I continue to not get what it is they're doing this season at all. Uh, you know, I, I suppose the hard cut at the end with sometimes it just ends was kind of funny, but... Yeah, again, this whole notion of, like, I don't feel like they're being true to Charlie this season. Okay. Uh, and I mean, maybe you'll disagree, but particularly this episode, just the way he became so megalomaniacal and, and, and manipulative, just, again, it didn't feel right for Charlie. I feel like we've seen him get there in the past, though. It's, I feel when? like uh, every now and again, that side of him kind of comes out. So, so I actually, I liked watching him be good at something. That was, you know, I don't know. I, I kind of enjoyed that. But I, I see where you're coming from. But I just, for some reason, it didn't seem to, it see, it, you know, I could see the, him being good at that, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. Well, there's one thing, there's a difference between being good at it and then just, you know, taking it to this other level of wanting to control everybody. And That's true. That's and true. Yeah, it, it just, I, it feels like something more suited to even Dennis. Well, yeah, but you would expect it from Dennis, and so it wouldn't be interesting. And, I, and yeah, fair enough. You know, I don't know. What about the league? Uh, yeah, the league had two episodes this week, and I, I quite liked the first one. I have to say, uh, Anchor Baby, 
And uh, I was actually disappointed they didn't carry uh, since we had two episodes this week. I was hoping we were going to get more with uh, Ruxin's kind of mm-hmm. uncomfortability with his marriage because uh, there really is a disparity there, and uh, we we don't get to uh, explore that too much. Uh, I'm actually, although you know, funny, because I remember preferring the first episode, but now I can't remember what happened in each episode, which is a strange <laughs> conundrum. Well, I, I did enjoy the uh, the 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 trade rape. Was it called right? In the was that the second one? Yeah, that was in the second episode. And, yes. and the the various flashbacks and the reveal via the car phone that the other guy Ruxin was there, and I, I I did enjoy enjoy that. And um, I don't like Raffi. No, no, but, never. I. But I was okay with him in this because he was. I felt like he was a, a really minor part of the episode. It felt like it was balanced correctly. Yeah, I, I mean, I could have done honestly without the wrestling finale, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was which was a total Raffy move, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. Can we just not? I you know nothing against Jason Mansukis. I just don't like the character. Period. And then anything you want to say about Thirty Rock? We got a second wedding in a row. Uh, we did, didn't we? Um, again, Thirty Rock is just this thing that continues to happen, and yeah, it, it hasn't been as offensively bad as it was in the past. But I, you know, as per usual, a couple of chuckles and. Many, many more gags than necessary, most of which didn't land for me. I did like this wedding better, though, than the wedding last week. Yes. Well, it was less frenetic, which was nice. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and I and I also liked um, Alec Baldwin's mega eulogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was... I, I, I am glad they killed Colleen, as much as I did really like that character. It's the last season. They've done that joke a lot. It was nice to, to have a bow on it, I think. Yeah, no, and, and it was it was nice to see them play a, a like a slightly pathosy moment just for a second, just mm-hmm. to get a little bit of emotion in there. Uh, that 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 was really nice to see. I, it wouldn't kill them to do it a little more often. Yeah, I I agree. Um, let's move on to Vampire Diaries. We're, we'll always have Bourbon Street. The, I still think they did not establish that Damon his blood had what been what turned her. Um, and that feels incredibly sloppy for this show. They usually are good about that kind of thing. Uh, but I did like that we got Lexi in, in flashback. I love that character. And uh, I thought the flashbacks were pretty good. And I like that they did establish that this wasn't all just a, a, a mindfuck by Damon. Yes. Well, c- can we just agree that they did a terrible job depicting New Orleans? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yes. That's that's not New <laughs> we, Orleans. <laughs> we, we've been spoiled by Kermé, admittedly, but but still. Um, let's move on from that. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't see, I think you're right about the siring thing, but I guess they're just going to go with it and keep moving because this isn't really a show that backtracks very often. So, all right. Uh, I like the, that, uh, I, I was really worried that they were going to resolve all this too quickly. And I, I like that, that, that the episode ends with this moment of just not knowing. Yeah. I, I made a face and I realized that it didn't translate on the show. <laughs> just this moment of, oh, shit. Okay. What do we do about this? And again, uh, this notion of everybody trying to respect everybody else, but not really knowing how to do it. Well, and and that they, I like that they established uh, the crazy that can happen with a sire bond, but they also established that she was kind of crazy to start with. So yes. we, I wish we had seen her before she was turned, because we don't, we didn't actually ever see her before she was sired. So you, so it, I like that. It, it shows, you know, that this is really probably not a good thing, but it also has that ambiguity of, 
she seemed like she was kind of nuts to start with. And Elena doesn't seem nuts at all. She's not, you know, hanging all over Damon and uh, any more than a normal high school girl is. I do think that they, that, that, I feel like it had to be intentional to have, like, right after they're, you know, in bed together. Well, I gotta get off to high school. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's just a bit older than her. I like that they keep reinforcing that every now and again, that it's kind of <laughs> creepy, the age difference we got going on. Um, but yeah, I, I think that they did a good job of handling what is a morally tricky situation. And, uh, what about, I mean, this, uh, Professor Shane thing, I really don't I think, care. I care more than I do about say Nashville stuff, but that's just because I have seasons of affinity for some of these characters. But this Professor Shane thing, I mean, let, can we please just have the badass vampire hunter back? Can we just have the, they mentioned like Silas? We just have him. Like, he, can we? Isn't he Silas, or he's gonna raise Silas? I don't know. I, feel I, like I think he's supposed to raise this. Silas, and I and they keep talking about how badass Silas is. Silas is. Can we just bring Silas in? He'll kill all the boring characters, and we can start fresh. How about that? Well, and this is like, we've said. I've said this before. This is normally a show that Silas would already have shown up, and we would be done with it by now. Yes, the... Silas would have shown up, and half the town would be on fire. And most sexual orientations would have flipped by now. And then we would have switched and we would have been onto something new. So the, the, this does feel like a new thing for them, but I'm not sure that I like it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and more Carolyn being hilarious and awesome. Yes. Although I really, honestly, though, I maybe it's maybe I was having a, a, a an unfortunate testosterone moment, but I really didn't need the like 90 seconds of them drunkenly partying. <laughs> ter- I just, it was, it was, it was just too much. Uh, I suppose I, I was fine with it, but I, I, you know, I can see how that wouldn't necessarily be your, your, it, it was just, it was one of those, it was one of those rare moments when I'm watching the vampire diaries, when I was thinking, this is just really not meant for me. Is it? <laughs> yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Next, we have Last Resort, Cinderella Liberty, which I think is the name of the ship, right? I guess so. I didn't. I, I actually, I noticed that later. I was like, why was that called Cinderella Liberty? But whatever, because I thought it was one of their better episodes for a while. Yeah. And uh, I was really glad they killed off Jesse Schramm's quasi-not-really-love-interest, who was just so, has to be the most thankless role of 2012, <laughs> um, just in terms of just, God, yeah, you know that guy had it coming. And he kind of deserved it, but it was still pretty sad. They're like, make sure we remind you that I have a son before I die. Yeah, um, I did. I did like that she, she, she made sure to tell him that she, that he saved her because he knows that she knows that's the kind of narrative he likes. Yeah, to be a part of. I thought that was a nice touch. And uh, yeah, so that made sense to me. I honestly I, i'm not crazy about her getting kidnapped at the end because it's just it's just getting ridiculous with her but you know whatever and but i i think what really made the episode for me was just there was so much tension all the time which is what <laughs> i want out of last resort all the time yeah it was good it was nice to have more another action set piece i feel like that's those have been the most successful the episodes that have that and i i'm not great out about her getting kidnapped but based on the next week on i i think I like where it's going to go, what this is going to lead to. So I, that's all I'll say about that. And um, I did like what and I continue to really like Autumn Reeser and what we're getting in uh, in DC with her. 
So, so we'll see if there, and again, there's going to be more of that next week. It, it appears. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. And, uh, I thought Andre Brower just did a great job, especially in the scenes with, uh, with the, the Admiral's daughter at the end. Yeah. I thought that, that he did a really good job of playing that in all the different levels. Yeah. I, I couldn't decide though, how to react to his reactions to people getting shot on the boat. Mm-hmm. It was maybe a bit much, but again, it's so hard to know. And I think they also should, could have done a better job of identifying who, like, based on the crew reactions when they're all sitting around watching, who just lost somebody. Yeah. But, I don't but think I do, they did. But I do think people with guns pointing them at the family members of the crew is exactly the kind of holy shit yeah. dilemma they should be having as often as possible. Absolutely. I, I like, though, that we can see a clear narrative of... What, how this season can how this can be a complete picture in one season um and so yeah I, I think more speeding up the plot like this like we got this week is is a good thing and i look forward to what we have coming for us next week it's i feel like this is one of the shows that's least likely to take a long hiatus so it, it'll be nice to have this one sticking around a, at least a little bit longer yeah i'm i as much as we've had some misgivings about it i feel like by the time the season's over it's going to be one of those man i wish we had more of this to watch <laughs> probably next on friday we have fringe the humankind and uh, uh astrid got something to do what i suppose it's still not as much as she should be doing considering she's one of like four characters left on the show <laughs> and it's completely ridiculous she's still basically a glorified sidekick Yes. At the best of times but okay i'll, I'll, I'll take it she's a helpful uh, this... sidekick <laughs> Yeah, she is. She is at least helpful. She is. I don't think she's ever done anything stupid, which yeah. actually, although maybe if she had, it would even be more interesting. Anyway, um, this was an interesting episode. It featured observer fighting, which is always fun. Uh, I feel like they, and actually, I guess since this is the last time we're going to get Peter as observer fighting, they really milked it for all it was worth because we got quite a bit of it. Uh, I was definitely surprised by their decision to have Peter unobserver himself. Yeah, me uh, too. It, it was a counterintuitive move, which means it was probably smart. Uh, although, although frankly, I, I I was enjoying Joshua Jackson's transition into complete roboticness. It's like I could have gone for a little more of that, but I, I guess it's better to leave you wanting more than to drag something on too long. There are only a very few episodes left in the season and really in the series, and so because of that, I was very happy with the decision to have make Olivia able to talk him down. That relatively easily i mean really it's just one heart to heart conversation because she had told him that she was worried about him earlier but she hadn't really i don't i didn't feel like she had really pled for him his his soul as it were you know in their mm -hmm. other scenes so it was just I, I liked that they reaffirmed that the strength of that relationship and and of course anator knocked it out of the park and was great um but uh but no i think i think that last scene really really worked and now i'm i'm more while I have been enjoying Observer Peter, I think I'm more excited about what's to come because it feels less predictable to me. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I mean, there's what, four episodes left? Five? But yeah, so it's really, this is the time to be accelerating uh, plot lines more than any other. And uh, it, it, it was also, not, like, I, I feel like we have a perennial beef with shows that that don't have characters who should be talking to each other just plain old talking to each other 
Uh, so it, it's always nice when uh, when a show pulls that card and, and does so successfully. We also had uh, an appearance from Jill Scott, who I I love her so much on uh, a number one ladies detective agency. I was glad to see her come come up here. I wasn't so crazy about the Jill Scott character. I got to be honest. I I like Jill Scott and I like Neo Soul as much as the next man, but. Um... Yeah, that didn't do much for me. I think the reason the character worked for me is that it felt like a, a pretty um, straightforward way to try to bring back this idea of Magic Olivia. And I'm feeling we're going to be seeing some Cotexafan magic, <laughs> for lack of a better word, before the series is out. And I, they wanted a way to, to to bring that back up but have it feel organic. And so I think this discussion of morality and and hope and faith in this context was a good way to do it. Yeah, I just felt like I'd heard this conversation before in, in many mediums, many other times. Mind you, I, I did like that it allowed for the best line of the episode about how the the so-called invaders are just better at math than we are. Yeah. Uh, that, that, was a good, that, was a, that was a good line, whoever wrote that. Yeah, well well done. I mean, of course, the writer this week is Allison uh, Shapker. And, there, yeah, there are a couple of good moments here like that, and that, that, I do think that's great, and just... Uh, I, I think it's really been interesting this season because we've seen Olivia as you know, being special in her ability to inspire hope in other people, especially in this, you know, because they've skipped over the, the you know, horrible occupation. But then now that they've lost Etta, she can inspire hope in others, but she doesn't have it herself anymore in a way that I think is interesting. So I continue mm-hmm. to enjoy this. It's not it's not knocking out of the park as much as I might like, but it's been consistent, and it, I, I like that they're playing to their strengths, except yes. for Astrid. And, yes, and for what it's worth, the cast seems very excited about the final episode. I was reading some of their comments about where it's headed, and I mean, I guess they have to be, but still, it, it was heartening. Yeah, always good to hear. Next, we have 30 for 30, You Don't Know Bo, and this is the last uh, installment this season for this one. It, it's a pretty straightforward... Now, you didn't get a chance to see this, as I recall. No, I did not. It's a pretty straightforward, just, you know, like hour and 15-minute uh, talking head biopic sort of thing about Bo Jackson, but as somebody who was, like, born <laughs> right around when he was starting out in pro sports, it was, you know, I, I had missed a lot of this. I had heard about, about him to some extent, um, and knew that he was an amazing athlete, but I hadn't seen very much footage and I didn't, you know, it was really fun to, to see the reverence that each, that all these people had for this, this guy who was injured and out of professional sports when he was 28. So, you know, it's talk about burning the candle on both ends. Uh, for those who don't know, Bo Jackson was a, a, a professional baseball player and football player at the same time uh football was this hobby that he did during off season from baseball and he was amazing (laughs) at both so it it is it's really fun um it's it's very reverential and people who already know about bo jackson probably won't learn too much new but uh but as someone who's was not very familiar with him it was it was a fun to watch, and I'm glad. So I'm glad I checked it out. Uh, overall, I feel like this season of Thirty for Thirty though has been a little underwhelming, and I'm hoping that they do a better job of digging up stories that perhaps people don't know about for the next one. Yeah, like, well, which was actually part of their original mandate, and I kind of I feel like now that they've ex- exceeded their actual thirty, they've sort of lost sight of that, which is a little disappointing. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I assume they're going to bring it back at some point in some capacity. So hopefully we'll get a little more originality uh, next time. 
that takes us to Sunday and the Amazing Race and my grudging, you were right in that you won. However, I was also right in that I kind of called the Beekmans because it was like the worst. <laughs> so they're your clown points. They're my clown points. Yeah. Uh, I, and you came in first place, though I might add Mandy and I were in second and third place and we were not that far behind you. So, but you know what's you know what's interesting about second and third place is that they are not they're not first. Place. first. Yes, that so is. So I would just like to say because uh, since I don't get to have a prize because I'm part of the Televerse. Yeah, we were going to have a trophy, but not if either of us yeah, won it. So. so I don't get a prize, so I do get twenty seconds of gloating. I would just like to say my victory has been assured all season. I <laughs> uh, I never make mistakes. I am almighty. You and picked the wrong probably team to win. And I will probably live forever. And, uh, yeah, I'm the best. So, yeah, you know, and, and the, the fact that I chose the wrong, that the team that did not win is immaterial. I chose the best team. <laughs> well, okay, I, I do want to give a shout-out to everybody else who participated in, in the poll we had. Okay, so you were first, and then we also had Mandy, myself, Mary Jo, Dan, Jess, and Mario. And we would love to have more people next time. I know Ryan has expressed interest and there are a few others. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, I, I think it really does add a lot to your enjoyment of the show. If you have personal stakes on, on what's going on. I, I wasn't as interested in some of the earlier challenges, but I think they did a great job with their final challenge. Cause at this point there've been enough seasons of the show that everybody knows that the last challenge is going to be map your path in some way. And so everybody just writes all that down, and so it can't be interesting anymore. I thought they did an interesting thing last time with, like, the giant billboard thing. Uh, and they had to, like, kind of jump around. I feel like that was last season. Maybe it was the one before. Mm -hmm. But but here, having the hello goodbye was, was great. It was, a, you know, it was a great challenge. I just wish they hadn't had so many equalizers in the last, in, just in this episode. It felt like. Yeah. There were, what, three or four? Yeah, and, and so they they just kept, you know, making sure, the producers were kept making sure that everybody was in the same, you know. And so it just basically came down to who was going to be best at this one challenge, and that was going to determine, you know, who won. So so I was a little disappointed by that, but I did, like, really like the, the Hello Goodbye challenge. Yeah, I was I was struck. I was, I was just amazed at how long it took everyone. Yeah. It just seemed like hours and hours, which I don't even see how that's possible. But anyway... Well, I mean, um, there's a lot of permutations for that. Yeah, I slide. suppose. But you'd think just anyway. Uh, so but I guess the thing that was sort of dispiriting about this episode was early on when, when we just have um, we have the four teams and they're in, su in such close proximity, the bitchiness really came back. And this is not a time that I want to remember how annoying these teams can be. Uh, like even even the uh, even I think it was Josh and Brent referring to the twins as those bitches is like, really? Do we need uh, that? See, I didn't feel like everybody was overly bitchy, and I, I think that they were just, in contrast to what we've seen from them, you know, they, I feel like they were also getting a bitchy edit. I actually think this season is quite notable for the fact that the final four teams uh, did not have an alpha male, did not have an ego. There was nobody there that had, uh, that, that was really a pain in the ass. They worked, there was so much teamwork in this that it was just, it was I don't think we've seen that before on the race. Dan, who covers the Amazing Race for us, can can probably let us know. 
but uh but but it seemed like it was a, just a very different approach and it was nice to actually like all the teams at the end it was a new sensation for me with the, with the race and i really did very much enjoy that and i think if they if they learned the producers learned from this i think they've been very successful having likable teams people yeah. where they're both they're nice they're good people they're not bitchy they're not you know high strung um and and i think you know there's a little bit more attitude coming from the last place people of course cuz they felt the most pressure but you know i i i hope they learn from this and cast more for teams like the chippendales and i thought the i like the twins to the end i like the beekmans i like trey and lexi it would it would be nice to get more teams like that yeah, at the same time, when it got to the end and we saw all the other, all the previous teams, I, all I could think of was, man, how much more interested would I have been in this finale if James and Abba were still around? Or, or if uh, uh, Amy, Purdy, and Daniel yes. were still around. Yeah, like, you know, the, the the teams we have now are fine, and I I did genuinely like James and James, which is why I put them as my number one, and also, uh, sequentially, they were what put me over the top to my glorious victory when they finished second, but... um. Yeah, would have been great. I really hope they bring at least one of those teams back for a, a sort of all-star deal. Yeah, we'll see what happens, but uh, that could be definitely be good. We also had Bob's Burgers, the unbearable like-likeness of Gene. And I, I, I kind of feel like Gene-centric episodes are the Bob's Burgers equivalent of Homer-centric episodes. Does that make sense? Okay, okay. Uh, in the sense that Gene's clearly the clearly the thickest of the kids. I, I mean, mentally. And you know, I, I I feel like his he has he has a certain kind of low wit that is a, a little bit different from the girls, and as a result, I I tend to like gene centric episodes slightly less, slightly less. Uh, but it was still good. I didn't think the uh, the musical and dream aspects were quite up to par, and even the I, I guess I should have known it was going to be a slightly less good episode when the. Um, when the bar pun, uh, sorry, when when the burger pun is uh, yes, I cayenne. Which come on, guys, you can do better <laughs> than that. But yeah, no, I mean Bob's doesn't do bad episodes, but I didn't think it was quite up to their best. I I did really like how quickly the entire family was like, no, she she is that bad. Because uh, yes. that I think hasn't everybody had an experience like that at some point where just either somebody like a, a mutual friend or you know somebody you've been complaining about somebody and your family goes, eh, pro come on, there's, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they meet them and they go, oh no, you were right. I hate that person. The, just the quick turn around, especially from the dad, I loved. So much fun. And, yeah. uh, and, and I thought the end gag at the hospital was also pretty good. I like that they gave that to Courtney and the family. So that was good. Yes. I, uh, I like that it was David Wayne voicing Courtney for some reason. <laughs> uh, so I always nice to see him getting work. I feel like Bob's Burgers, even more than other TV cartoons, has a higher ratio of women voicing men and men voicing women, which mm -hmm. someone should really write a think piece about, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I do, but it did make their sort of, their love story, not really a love story, a little bit more interesting to me. Ah, fair enough. Yeah, it was it was fun. You know, but it's like you said, Bob's Burgers doesn't do bad episodes, so at least not so far. If it hasn't bowled me over, that doesn't mean that it's not incredibly entertaining. And I definitely laughed. So well yes, done. It, you know, we're in that time of year where we're starting to think about top tens, and I feel like Bob's has a decent shot at cracking it this year. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely in the conversation, at least for me. 
The next episode we have up here is uh, from Sunday, Homeland, the motherfucker with the turban. Or, as they renamed it, far less entertainingly, the memorial. Or in memorial, right? In memoriam. Really, guys? Really? Come on. Can, Can I just say... First of all, the Dexter finale is apparently still called Surprise, Motherfucker, which is great. Probably better than the episode will be. So I don't understand the logic of changing this other than, I don't know, they, maybe it's some, maybe they, they thought it was funny and then they chickened out at the last second. I don't know. But come on, this episode should clearly be called The Motherfucker with the Turban. Yeah, that would be, I don't know, that's pretty pretty great. But let's, let's actually talk about the episode itself a little bit here. Yeah, um... Uh, there, there's some there's some good stuff in this episode and some not so good stuff, which I kind of feel like is par for the course. I need you to Homeland. do that noise again, though. Why? Because it was hilarious. Uh, yeah. that's, that's my that's my that's my uh, Tina groan. Well, it just kind of perfectly encapsulates how I feel about Homeland right now. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, uh, you're right. So let's let's get to the good first. Uh, the scene at the end with. Brody and Jessica is fantastic. I think it's one of the best of the entire season, if not the series. I think, it, again, we love it when characters talk. And this, these characters were so overdue for a sober, serious chat about what's going on. And it was just pitch perfect. And I feel like Marina Baccarin is the undersung MVP of this show. Absolutely. Since, since Claire Danes and Damian Lewis are just um nom numbing those awards. She's just <laughs> in the background being quietly awesome. And uh, she absolutely nails that. Uh, and, of course, so does Damien Lewis. Uh, that was great. Um, the whole, like, honestly, while I was watching it, the whole Nazir manhunt was, I'll admit, had some suspense. But then upon even just a little bit of examination, I was like, I was just I was just thinking, why is this like this? It why are we, shouldn't be at all. Why are, why are we doing this, like, horror movie setup with the boogeyman in the dark and the hand-to-hand combat and yeah i don't the, feel bad for the for the the attack guy who got killed because you don't go into a like a unexplored part of a tunnel when you're looking for a suicide bomber kind of guy by yourself that's just stupid uh you yeah the, the fact that they would have broken off from the rest of the group is ridiculous the fact that but, but she's even... running around with no no gun no vest by herself is ridiculous and would never happen. I, there were a few moments like that. And also just thinking back on the whole Walden thing, there's just, there's a lot of holes. I think there's more holes with this than anything else in Homeland history, Homeland short history. Just, you know, and, and admittedly, some of these are called from, from reading other people's comments, but you know, is, is it not just going to immediately raise a red flag with everyone that, Brody was in the room with Walden when it happened, it is or or at least in the vicinity. Shouldn't they immediately think something might be up with that? Uh, I mean, I, admittedly, there is there is a plot to kill Brody, but it's not even about that apparently, which is kind of hilarious to me. The the idea that they wouldn't have been monitoring his phone calls, uh, I don't know. There's just there's a lot that's troublesome that I don't think they can fix or will even want to in the finale. Well, there are a couple things. I mean, at this point, it looks like Jessica and the family are practically out of the story at this point. And that's why I was particularly uh, glad that they, uh, that, 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 that Marina Baccarin did get that great last scene. 
Um, but I think Brody at this point pretty much has to be out of the. I mean, I feel it feels completely played out. I don't know what they can do at this point with Brody and Carrie. As great as those two are together, I, I agree. I, I when this episode was over, I was just hoping for the love of God that Brody dies or is or something happens next week because. I don't see a way. I mean, I feel like we said this. We said this all the time with Homeland. I don't see a way forward with this, and then they find something. But even with that, I don't see a way forward with this. And <laughs> I I feel like, and it's, it would be a great shocker. I think to have. I mean, it wouldn't be shocking if the show progressed logically, but it generally doesn't. <laughs> I think it would be a great thing to to have Brody out of the picture, and I think that that could leave with a really interesting aftermath for Carrie. Um, not a pretty one, but uh, definitely an interesting one. So I'm, yeah, I I, I love you, Damian Lewis, but I kind of hope you die next week. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, the final episode of the this Our Week in TV is The Voice, which had its semifinals, um, and Amanda Brown got eliminated. So did Melanie Martinez, uh, and Amanda Brown. Oh, was... so this is sad for you. Yeah, she was definitely the best uh, person there, and so uh, yeah, the the. The trouble with the voice voting this season is that because the iTunes votes are so heavily weighted, you can find out really easily who's going home by just looking at the iTunes ratings. So as soon as as she hadn't charted and the others had, it was clear that she was going to be out. So there was no suspense to the elimination. And then also in this, the final, uh, or the second to last episode, I guess, was, was last night on Monday... And uh, the, the the good thing about it was that it was only one hour. Each person performed once. They're down to four people. That's a good thing. I was very worried about how they were going to do two hours with that. Um, but really, I, I think most of the people did some of their least affecting performances uh, this week. And it seems uh, that because the, the coaches are, have become so reverential towards their singers, because they're trying, you know, this notion of, they're so amazing. I can't even tell them how to be better now. I just had to help them be themselves. You have somebody like Trevin Hunt, who's an 18-year-old, who has an amazing voice, but he's 18 and he's never had vocal training. And so he's singing Wind Beneath My Wings, and it's horribly out of tune, but nobody will tell him, you need to work on your tuning because they all, you know, there's this notion of this is this great, amazing artist instead of this is a work in, this is somebody, any, you know, it's like the... I always come back to Treme. Like to talk about on, on Treme, a true artist is never done learning and is never done growing. So this this notion of you're just always amazing, that was amazing, you did a perfect job, it's bullshit. And it gets frustrating for me as a musician to watch, you know, watch watch these coaches who are supposed to know what they're talking about and frequently do in the earlier stages. I feel like they're afraid to be critical because they don't want to get backlash from the audience and from the the fans of each of these these people on the show. And uh, I, I just, the voice was the show, was the reality scene competition that had more honesty and frankness in its, in its coaching process and, and, you know, in the, in the, its show. And that's completely gone at this point. So it kind of feels uh, like a complete waste of my time, but I'm still watching it because there's only one more episode. All right. So that's where I'm at with the voice. I would love to hear what everybody else thinks. Um, I, we haven't. We don't get any feedback about the voice. So if you guys don't care about it, I don't need to cover it on the show. So let let me know if if you are enjoying 
my voice rants or want me to just shut up so we can decide whether I cover it next next uh, cycle or season or whatever you want to call it. Um, but that does wrap up our, our week in TV. And uh, so let's go to a few show notes here. At the end, we have uh, intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. Our uh, post for this will be up at soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment, let us know what you're thinking. Of course, we're in iTunes with an M4A and an MP3 feed. There are a lot more of you listening to the MP3 than the M4A, which kind of surprises me just because I love chaptering. So, but. Uh, I'm glad to hear it. It would be nice if maybe we could get a few more iTunes ratings or reviews. We we have two on our our uh, MP3 feed, but like 14 on our M4A feed. So maybe MP3. And we guys. and we know and we know you're out there now. We have yeah. stats. <laughs> we have some level of stats. So we do know that you know 14 to two. I would have assumed there were way more MP4 M4A listeners, but that is not the case. Um, so it would be great to to hear from you guys. Also, of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are. I'm at Sucker Howell. And what's our question this week? Uh, I'd you know I assume there's enough of our of our listeners watching Homeland. I'd, I'd like to hear some finale predictions. Now are we talking crazy, you know, ridiculous speculation? Are we? Talking... Oh yeah, yeah. No, I I don't want real guesses. I want your your craziest nightmare unicorn fantasy uh, <laughs> ridiculous possibilities that you've just invented sounds good sounds good so that's uh yeah let us know leave us comments let us know how homeland's gonna end that should be fun but now we're gonna take a break listen to a little music and come back with sarah dowdy and dublina chakabordi from stuff you miss in history class to help us talk friends how did we talk about friends for that with them for a half an hour and not mention the theme song oh god i i'm sorry but when, when in the few episodes i watched i had to skip the theme song all honestly it's not that it's a bad theme song. It's just all I can think about when I hear it is, wow, these random-ass musicians are set for life. Those are the Rembrandts. One of the few uh, musicians of theme so- of that of a theme song where I actually know the ben- band name. So I don't know how I picked that up, but uh, maybe song pop. I don't know. But with, without further ado, let's let's go to uh, the Stuff You Miss in History class, ladies, and talking about friends. We saw them fornicating. <laughs> Okay, so now they know you know, and they don't know that Rachel knows? Yes, but you know what? It doesn't matter who knows what. Now enough of us know that we could just tell them we know. Now all the lying and the secrets will finally be over. Or we could not tell them we know and have a little fun of our own. <laughs> well, well, what do you mean? Well, you know, every time that they say they're, like, doing laundry, we'll just give them a bunch of laundry to do. <laughs> oh, I, I would enjoy that. Joey... Yeah. Phoebe knows about us. Well, I didn't tell them. Them? Who's them? Uh, Phoebe and Joey. Joey? And Rachel. I would have told you, but they made me promise not to tell. Oh, man. I'm sorry. But hey, it's over now, right? Because you can tell them you know they know, and I can go back to knowing absolutely nothing. Unless... No, not unless. Look, this must end now. Oh, man, they think they are so slick messing with us. But see, they don't know that we know that they know. So... Ah, uh, yes. The messers become the messies. <laughs> Way. The job's a joke to 
with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are talking Friends, which has got to be the most mainstream show we've done to this point. Uh, but I'm excited because 10 seasons of fun, and here to help us talk about it, the ladies from Stuff You Missed in History class, Sarah Dowdy and Dablina Chakrabarty. Guys, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. So, Friends, what made you want to talk about the show? Well, we had to pick a, this is Sarah, we had to pick a show that we had both watched. Yes, that was key. That was, that was pretty important. And um, we just picked Friends because I figured everybody could relate to it in some way or another. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's that show, I actually feel like it's in an interesting place right now where it's become popular to, to look down on Friends. But I actually think for at least half, if not two-thirds of its run, it was actually a really good show. And almost every time I put in an episode, I end up laughing. And now that, you know, I have this podcast with Simon and we watch so many different shows every week, I've come to appreciate that more and more. The number of shows that actually make me laugh out loud is is kind of small. So I, I do think this is an underrated show in a weird way at this point. It's kind of a comfort show, too. I mean, we were talking about that a little bit. It just Something about it just makes you feel <laughs> good, and and sometimes that's because you're laughing out loud. And I don't know. I was just thinking uh, when I was rewatching a few episodes before we recorded this. Uh, when I saw "For the Devil Knows You're Dead" a few years ago, I was like so traumatized. After I think I went home, watched some reruns of Friends. You know, it has that sort of effect on you. De- definitely. Now, did you guys were you guys big fans while it was on the air? We should say that that Friends started, I believe, in 1994 and ran for 10 seasons. Yeah, intermittently. I think I watched, you know, just here and there for the first sort of part of the run. And then towards the end, I watched, maybe because I knew the end was coming and it became a bigger deal, um, I started watching uh, more episodes. And uh, I actually didn't watch the first few seasons. I think I was probably probably too little to be watching Friends, I guess, with my parents in, <laughs> in 1994. Um, but I started watching in late middle school, high school. And at that point, at least at my school, it was just like everything stopped for Friends when it was on. And I can't really think of another show um, in my life where that's really happened. Um, just Nothing happened during the Friends time slot because everybody knew that's what you would be doing. And that even continued um, on into on into college, I think, when it was just paused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's totally one of those shows that I've also really gotten into in reruns, I think. You know, like you said, it's one of those shows that you can always turn on. It's surprisingly funny. Um, even jokes that I've heard before, I always laugh at again. And. And, uh, and I think I've gotten, I've filled in the blanks of all the episodes I missed through reruns. Yeah, it was interesting to me when I was uh, watching some of the earlier episodes in the series, uh, when I, I shouldn't have been watching Friends. I don't feel like we watched Friends when I was, you know, what, like nine or ten at the early run of the series. And yet there were moments, especially, you know, there, we'll talk about favorite episodes and, and moments and things like that. But there are certain moments where I really remembered it so I don't know if I caught it later on like best of the 90s or something or if I actually (laughs) had watched it at the time and had you know it had seeped into my consciousness I didn't really remember watching it but it was interesting to me how certain moments of this show really have have stuck with me in a way that I did not expect now Simon we we're we're getting into the love fest here about friends 
This seems like this show is too uh don't don't take this the wrong way, too happy for you. <laughs> what do you what do you think of friends? <laughs> wow. Um well, it's absolutely true that in the mid nineties it was unavoidable. It was just it was on all the time. Uh my my circle of, of people wasn't really the type to be talking about it, but it it was certainly it was it had captured the cultural zeitgeist for quite a long time. So, in a way, it felt strange to even have an opinion on it. And then, going back and deliberately watching Friends, like, almost a decade after it was over, which which is which simultaneously doesn't seem like enough time and way too much time uh, for that to have happened, it, it was kind of a strange experience, because on, on one hand, you know, watching the pilot, first of all, it's it even though it's only 18 years old, it feels incredibly dated in a lot of ways. Uh, e- even just small things like Ross's clothing, his, yeah. his enormous, his enormous shirts. <laughs> I just honestly, even with the jokes are flying, and all I can think about is that is one enormous shirt. <laughs> uh, but at the, at the same time, there's something very strange about watching a show that went in in if if I happened to catch the premiere in 1994, I would have been eight years old, and now watching it. You know, Ross is describing his his life. Oh, I'm 26 years old and I'm divorced, which is essentially, not to get awkwardly autobiographical, essentially exactly the position I'm in right now. <laughs> and it's like, wow, I'm old. Um, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I almost can't have a straight opinion about Friends because it's it, it's so mired up in like, memories of of when I was watching it when I was younger and also sitcoms that have come since. And uh, and also the datedness, and also my own weird baggage. But um, it, it has been interesting. I, I you know I, I know that when we were organizing this segment, uh, the episode, the one with the embryos, came up. So I took time to watch that one, and I, I feel like that that episode is prophetic in a way because it seems to, at the very least, completely invent how I met your mother. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There, you can uh, definitely you can definitely feel how other shows were inspired or affected by by friends when you look at some of the you know what we get now like the hangout comedy granted it's it's been around for quite a long time we just recently talked about cheers that's the ultimate hangout comedy right there but i, I do feel like it's it's sort of the template for you know for how i met you rather like you said definitely we are we've talked about coupling definitely coupling is you know, friends with a interesting cinematic sort of twist to to its storytelling. But then you also have you know all of these uh, Cougar Town and happy endings and like I feel like almost all of the young people you know twenty something thirty somethings comedies right now are all hangout comedies and they all feel like direct descendants of Friends. Yeah, yeah, or knockoffs. I'm yes. I'm watching yeah. How I Met Your Mother right now, just season one on Netflix, but I can definitely see that the, the people sitting around talking and um, to me, and especially going back and, and rewatching some episodes, that's when friends is at its best. Um, and I don't know if that comes from not watching those first few seasons. Cause I wasn't watching it with my family and not getting super invested in the Ross and Rachel drama and all of that. But I always liked the episodes where it was just, um, I don't know, it, it almost embraced the fact that the show is entirely unrealistic, that these people have jobs, but they never seem to be at them. You know, <laughs> they live in New York, but they can hang out in the coffee shop all day. When there's no real action and they're just talking, that's really when it is 
at its best. I have to say, even as a kid, I remember the relationship drama being by far the most eye-rolling element. Yeah, especially when it got to the later seasons. I was going to say, I feel like some shows are so much worse in that respect now with the relationship drama. Like, they're almost all relationship drama. Yeah, it, it's the, the Ross and Rachel thing, really, I, I think it's part part of the problem or part of the issue with it was that it was a big part of why Friends broke through and became this huge success. Everybody, you know, the, there was a strong viewership that was coming back just for Ross and Rachel. And I actually think that, uh, especially the first few seasons, is really successful i you know i would defend the relationship drama element of it but the trouble is they you know this is a show that went on for 10 seasons you can't do will they won't they for 10 seasons and have it not get old especially when they have a kid together that's Mm -hmm. the point where it really became a little you know grow up folks and and talk to each other like adults if you have a kid (laughs) yeah well and i think one of the you know because of course in 10 seasons you're gonna have peaks and valleys it's just gonna happen um but i think one of the the best things they did and one of the things that brought on a creative resurgence later in the run of the series was when they put monica and chandler together because for for once that actually felt like a responsible adult relationship Mm-hmm. on the show and it really gave gave the show the shot in the arm that it needed and i i wanted to go back quickly to the the notion of unreality in this series because let's just talk a brief moment about what they do um so joey is an actor with various levels of success that makes sense for maybe him having more free time especially during various parts of the day but monica's a chef yeah uh, sure they, they, you know if, if anybody <laughs> we talk about Tremaine all the time look at jeanette what she her schedule is like and look at what monica's doing and... well, wait a second are we comparing treme and friends right now <laughs> i'm just saying chefs man that's it's it's like i think i can't decide which the most unrealistic job is the ross the professor who's never grading papers or at work or teaching uh or or the chef who doesn't seem to ever be in the kitchen unless it's thanksgiving well don't forget rachel too working for ralph lauren <laughs> But the focus of the show is about the relationships, right? So how much can you really show, especially with the cast of that size, all the different individual career Of course. Stuff? I have to say, Monica is the least psychotic chef in TV history. <laughs> I don't know. She's pretty psychotic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we don't really get to see her wielding knives very often, so maybe that's part of it. I wear the, the white coat and the hat and stuff, though, so yes. every now there's evidence. Yes, especially if they need to have uh, Rachel do something so she can help her cater an event. Doesn't matter what the event is. There's a lot of fun about the show, and I do think that part of that fun is... I do feel like they it's that level right before they start... Shows started winking, winking at the audience about, hey, we're never at work. I actually appreciate that they maintain that sense of bubble, you know, for this Friends universe where you can have a giant two-bedroom apartment, uh, two-bed, two-bath, right? in the middle of New York and you can afford that on not working to eventually Ralph Lauren assistant uh, (laughs) and a chef who never is working. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and what you're talking about too, sort of a a wink to the audience. Um, The, the episode we were just mentioning too, the one with the embryos, I, I noticed the point where Ross kind of, kind of does a wink to that actually when he's going to prepare the quiz and, He's offended at first, you know, like I have a job, I have a son. Of course, I don't have time for something like this. And then when they're like, oh, 
don't worry about it then he's he's offended because after all that <laughs> the fun of the show is this is Ross getting to be this obsessive weird guy and right. and them just wasting time essentially but having a good time right and they definitely make a nod to that with Joey as well with his auditions you know they'll have people make fun of him and be like you're supposed to be an actor but you go to like three auditions a month or something speaking of the characters well I, I feel like we're gonna get to this so let's just get it out of the way which friend are all of us and the reason I'm asking is because I'm so clearly a Monica that this is a really easy question for me <laughs> obsessive compulsive and all of that I, I think I'm clearly a Monica uh Simon well, I think we've already established who I am, and it's making me very, very sad. Oh, yeah, you're Ross, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> I think I, too, am a Monica with maybe some Phoebe-ish tendencies. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm going to have to just go with the Chandler by default. I don't know. No, I'm definitely not a Monica. I'm kind of sarcastic sometimes. There you go. Nice, Chandler. Uh, although now that we've now that we've established who everyone is, can we all agree that that Phoebe is the best friend? Oh yeah, she's she's the kindest friend. Oh, I do don't you know mean she's the best? The best of the of the characters, or the one that you'd actually want to be friends with? Both. <laughs> yeah, I, she. I I don't know if I I feel like I small doses would work out yeah, well that's for me. What I'm <laughs> Phoebe, like maybe you'd see her every couple months. But mm -hmm. if she were your friend that you actually hung out with all day, every day, like they do, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I love how crazy she is. And at the same time, she's also sort of strangely the voice of wisdom in many circumstances. Plus, if you think she's crazy, uh, we, we have we have different standards. <laughs> <laughs> she's just uh, just she's loopy and it's fun. And Lisa Kudrow is great. Let's maybe the, this is the time to talk about the performances. Um, I do think the reason that this show became the phenomenon it did is that you they just happened to catch the right balance of all the different all the different actors uh in these roles and just the chemistry together is just really great but i do think that she's uh, uh lisa kudrow is particularly strong i would also say i i think uh, courtney cox is particularly strong and matthew perry um but but the, the energy and the uh the spontaneity that she brings to to Phoebe, I think, is definitely one of the highlights. It is. And I actually read something interesting about her not too long ago, that she originally was supposed to play the part of Roz on Frasier. And I'm I'm <laughs> rewatching Frasier right now, too. And the thought of her as Roz is so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, by extension, that somebody else would have been Phoebe. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, Dublina and I were talking about Frasier for a minute before we started, too. And... and um, Simon, you mentioned that Friends seems so outdated, and, and it certainly does, especially when you look at their clothes and all of that, but it doesn't seem outdated in the way that Frasier seems outdated. And, and I, I mean, I'm having plenty of laughs in my rewatching of Frasier, but <laughs> some of it I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that that was on TV. Mm. It's so offensive. It's so sexist, you know, whatever it is, but... Um, I don't know. Friends seem to buy step that at least. Maybe the difference of a of a few years. Well, I think other. I do think they get some of the uh, the character dynamics and the gender politics right in a way that maybe some other shows don't. But but there is and it's something that a lot of people talk about with the series. There is a clear sort of color issue on this show that everybody is white until they bring in one black character. Almost, which who almost at that point feels like Token from South Park, 
because every person they interact with is, is some flavor of Caucasian. And uh, the as a kid, that didn't I didn't even really I didn't notice that. It's more as an adult when I look at other other series and and uh, even just the cross section of what New York is. What yeah. you know, it just you know there are elements like that that do give it a different sort of you know I I I don't feel like it, it's offensive in that way. At least to me, I don't know. Of course, everybody's going to have a different rubric for that, but uh, it it does feel like a. In that way, it feels like a distinctly 90s kind of show. Hey, now, Ross does have an Asian girlfriend at one point. Yes, I think she gets about two lines of dialogue. And an African-American girlfriend. That's true. Um, I I rewatched the one with the cop yesterday, and Mm -hmm. and it's um, the one where Ross goes sofa shopping, and it has a hilarious scene, and that's why I rewatched it. He's trying to maneuver the sofa up the stairs, <laughs> but uh, it fails miserably, and and he eventually returns to the store, and he's trying to convince the sales lady, who is an African-American woman, to take the sofa back, and it was like, oh, wow, <laughs> yes, this is a very uh, uniform sort of show, and, and I'm not sure I noticed that as much at the time either, but it does stand out today, and you think about the controversy on shows like girls for not being diverse enough um at least at the outset uh that's interesting to to see that's certainly something that dates it but i'm wondering if if that's um i wonder what the turning point was exactly because that's just as much an issue on a show like cheers but because of when it aired we don't think about it well cheers is kind of a closed environment too if it's this one bar i mean these people are supposed to be roaming around New York as a whole, <laughs> um, making new friends and meeting lots of people. There's another element that I, I think we got to talk about, and that's uh, the the titles. Because uh, I, I both love and then find kind of frustrating the title scheme of The One With. First of all, that was genius. And I'm sure there are so many, uh, there's a ridiculous number of showrunners and and TV writers who wish they could have that as the, the, you know, the structure for their episode titles. And yet because the show ran for 10 seasons off the top of my head, I was trying to remember which one, the one with the embryos was, and there were so many options. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, is it when Phoebe gets pregnant or Monica gets pregnant or when Rachel gets pregnant or when Phoebe gives birth? Like, cause first of all, (laughs) there are a lot of memorable, really strong episodes that involved embryos in some way, which was, I guess, a good thing for the show. But uh, it, I, I find it both hilarious and then also because there's so much content in the show, maybe somewhat difficult. Is, is that just me? No, not at all. I, I feel that way. <laughs> yeah, it's hard if you're searching for something specific, for sure. Well, and also just because if you try to Google what's the one, the friends, the one where, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's it's very... You know, it's not particularly helpful. I was trying to find, for example, the one where everybody finds out about Monica and Chandler. They're doing all their laundry. They don't know that you know that we know that they know. That thing, which I still think is one of the most hilarious, you know, (laughs) payoffs, builds and payoffs in a a sitcom. And I I could not find it because of the way that I was searching. I don't know. What are your guys' favorite episodes? Besides, of course, we already mentioned the one with the embryos, which is the the one with the embryos, but it's also the one where we have the game and the, the, the ladies lose the apartment to the guys and they have to switch. There's a lot going on in that episode. What else are the other ones that stand out for you? Um, I I picked the one where Ross got high as another favorite. Um, I think it, it's another example 
kind of like the one with the embryos where they're all just at the apartment. They're at Monica. Well, it's Monica and Chandler's apartment by that point. And um, nothing really is happening. Well, Thanksgiving dinner is happening, but there doesn't seem to be much cooking going on at that point. But it's just their interactions. It's, of course, classic for, for Rachel being in charge of the dessert and making the trifle and she put beef <laughs> in it. Um, the the sub point is that uh, the Monica and, and Ross's parents don't know that she's dating Chandler and she's living with him because they have this long held grudge against Chandler because during college, Ross smoked pot and blamed it on Chandler. And they think Chandler is just a, <laughs> a total loser and they've thought so since then. But um, it's it's great, and of course the Mrs. Geller has the has the best line at the end, and she just sort of sums it all up, you know, like, no, Rachel, you were not supposed to put beef in the trifle, and um, I don't know, I, I I just it's one that I thought of when I was trying to pick a episodes to rewatch and a favorite. I just thought of that one right away, and part of it is because of the ridiculous beef trifle, but um, it, it's always good when Friends goes into their backstory a little bit, too, that these people yeah. did, uh, most of them knew each other, or have known each other for a long time, and they have uh, that history, you know, the, the competitive history between Monica and Ross, the friendship between Chandler and Ross. Simon, how about you? Uh, I, I, I have to say, I didn't see enough on this rewatch to pinpoint uh, individual episodes. I'm going to have to sit this one out. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Any others? One that I really liked was um, the the one with the East German laundry detergent. <laughs> and it was uh, one from season one. I wouldn't call this a favorite, but it, it's definitely one that I liked. It's one from season one, and Rachel has never done laundry before. And Ross is just trying to find a way to spend time with her, even though he has a laundromat in his own building. So he pretends that his laundry room is infested with rats and volunteers to go do laundry with Monica and Rachel. And then uh, Monica ends up backing out and they end up doing laundry together. But I kind of like that episode because, I mean, we talked about the whole, like, is it realistic or not? And I know the knock on it is always that it's not realistic. And, you know, it's like, okay, to a certain extent, it's like, whatever, it's a show. But what I do like about it is, I feel like even if everything that happens in the show and even if all the characters aren't completely realistic, I feel like their overall evolution is somewhat, there's something authentic about it. I mean, if you watch all 10 seasons, they do, they start out in one place, you know, Rachel's just left home. She's left her wealthy lifestyle. She's a waitress. Monica's, yeah, Monica's like a sous chef or something and, you know, Chandler has that job. Nobody knows what he does. And then they all sort of evolve towards the end of the, you know, they go through relationships, they get married. And then at the end, they're like having kids and they're moving from their life in the two bedroom, one bathroom apartment to the burbs where they have a house. And I feel like if you are in that age range where you're like late twenties to mid thirties or whatever, if you've gone through that, you can see like, there's some elements about that that are true for, for people, you know, I mean, even if you're not going to a job at Ralph Lauren after you've been a waitress, um, you know, you can imagine that maybe you have started your career, maybe you have gotten more invested in it, maybe you have found a relationship, had a kid, moved on. I mean, those there are certain elements to it that I think are are very real. Yeah, and it's a combination of, of certain things maybe hitting home in a way you don't expect, uh, and, and then also this element of wish fulfillment. 
And, and I, th- I think a lot of shows, uh, especially hangout comedies, that that's what they're they're going for. But uh, the sense of wouldn't it be great if I could live across the hall from my best friends and sure. you know, and I had this really close relationship with my family or this got this dream job with Ralph Lauren or any you know any other of a number of things. It's, and I think I think just it's very deftly combined. And I think you maybe you best see that in contrasting episodes like they have the they have a tradition of really strong thanksgiving episodes for example uh there are certain things that you get to know the show you get to know the world and it lets you kind of seep into and you know jump into this world and and live in it and it's not necessarily that realistic but it's true enough without being in a way that that buffy for example there's there aren't monsters in high school but sometimes it feels like there are you know Yeah. And I think there's elements with friends that has a, a similar, similar, you know, prompts a similar re- reaction in the viewer. Well, and if if I can make a crude attempt to chart the the evolution of the American sitcom, uh, starting with Cheers, I, I feel like let's say Cheers established the the hangout genre or at least perfected it, and then I think Friends, you know, you have that hangout element combined with more overtly soapy elements uh, mm. in a way that really hooks the audience. And now I think what people are, tr- and, and then it, of course you can get to things like how I met your mother, happy endings where they really up the, the joke quotient, make it more rapid fire and also toy with the show on a formal level, which friends didn't really do a whole lot as far as I can tell. And that would tie uh, into arrested development. Right. etc. And now I think what, what you're seeing people start to try to do with stuff like two broke girls and I'm not saying this works yet, is trying to maybe uh, do all that while not being so outsized and fantastic um, in terms of, you know, the, the mm-hmm. luxury apartments, et cetera. Uh, but I don't, but I don't, I don't think we've actually seen that work yet, but I would like to. Well, and if we're talking about too, how friends influence shows, I wonder how much the, the workplace comedies that came a few years after Friends ended were were influenced by by those charges of this is so unrealistic, these people have jobs but they're never at them. If <laughs> I don't know if T V writers started thinking, well why don't we just set the show at the job and you have uh the British office, you have the American office, you have Thirty Rock, Parks and Rec, which I mean those are those are all unrealistic office environments too, but we can at least get past the fact, okay, well, I do understand how these people support themselves. <laughs> well, and especially with the, the number of workplace comedies where everybody doesn't seem to have other friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where their friends are their colleagues, and so we get that extra center of the workplace. But yeah, I would definitely, I, it, it, it'll be interesting to be able to look back. I, I do agree that the, perhaps there's a transitional element right now in in, in uh, hangout comedies and workplace, you know, where we're at with the sitcom right now. It'll be interesting to be able to look back and chart how Cheers to Friends to Arrest Development, to, you know, all these different elements kind of come together. Uh, any final thoughts on Friends? Well, I, I think Friends holds kind of an important transitional place, too, in the way that we watch TV now. Um, I mean, I was, when we when we first started talking, I was mentioning how it was something that everybody watched everything stopped for friends <laughs> and um, I don't really feel like there are shows exactly like that on TV anymore. I don't know. Maybe I'm not watching enough reality television, but <laughs> I just kind of wait and I watch on Hulu or I wait for the season and I watch it on Netflix. Um, and I think friends 
was maybe one of the first shows that really had that, that box set sort of effect. You know, the box sets of DVDs came out and people could watch it obsessively, watch it, catch up on everything, watch them in the order that they were supposed to. And it doesn't get mentioned as much as shows like, um, you know, Arrested Development or, or Freaks and Geeks where they hadn't gotten the ratings while they were on. So that box set effect had a really big effect on the ultimate life of the show mm -hmm. uh, friends was already a hit but it, it still changed what it is i think absolutely simon uh well i i feel like we can't get through this without mentioning also and I, again I, I didn't get to see much on this rewatch but of course i went on wikipedia and started scanning through the recurring and one-off characters and wow the guest cast on this thing is ridiculous so That's many true. people yeah. so many good ones Ugly naked guy. You can't, you can't leave without mentioning ugly naked guy. Who is he? Nobody knows. Best well, love to our imaginations, I think. Yeah. Honestly, I just always pictured Tom Selleck. No. <laughs> Richard. I mean, it has all those guests on it, but it also has people that were unknown at the time. And then it's like watching an old Seinfeld, and then you realize that it's... Um, that Brian Cranston is the dentist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, plenty of people like that who, who went on five years later to be on their own shows. Mm -hmm. Paul Rudd stands out in that respect. Paul Rudd. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Friends has got to be... One of the, it's got to be the most popular show we've talked about on here. I like that we can, you know, appreciate the the the, the freaks and geeks. Uh, nobody watch it while it's on, and all, and the mega hits as well. Uh, do we want to? We I know we did favorite episodes, favorite characters. Simon, you've said Phoebe. Yes, easily. Uh, Sarah, how about you? I don't know. A favorite. <sighs> mm. I I'm gonna have to cheat a little bit and say. That that the Monica Ross crazy sibling relationship might be my favorite when they're just so competitive and funny. So whatever they bring out in each other. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. So I'll just say ugly naked guy slash, <laughs> slash Janice. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Janice is pretty great. I'll, I'll give the, uh, we've already given some praise to, to Phoebe. So I'm going to give an MVP award to, uh, to Joey. Cause I think especially in the, other than the being in love with Rachel thing, which I think, uh, you know, Matt LeBlanc did his best with that, but it didn't really help the show, I think. No. <laughs> um, but I, he did, I did, do think Matt LeBlanc became one of the most uh, consistent, reliable sources of comedy on the show. It's unfortunate the way that they, it seemed every season made him stupider. Um, but <laughs> other than that, I do think uh, in, a, in, a, in the seasons when the show was at its weakest, you could usually rely on Joey to get a couple laughs. And so I will... Throw some love to Matt LeBlanc. Um, Sarah and Delina, thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online? They can find us at HowStuffWorks.com. Uh, we have our RSS feed there, blog. We're also on Facebook, and we're on Twitter at Missed in History. I, I just love your guys' podcast, uh, Stuff You Missed in History Class. Anybody who's listening who enjoys history or learning or factoids or just wants another podcast to listen to, they should absolutely check it out because every week, twice a week, I learn something new and it's great. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you everyone uh, for listening. Thank you guys, of course, for coming on and we'll be back next week with another episode of The Television. <laughs>